And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. So welcome to the show, everyone. Um, we are talking, this is episode five, and this week we are talking about, looks like I haven't put the frame on that tells you all what we are talking about today, so my bad, I'm going to put that on. We're talking about anxiety in the final frontier. Um, specifically, we're looking at two characters. Who are we looking at today, uh, Larry? We are looking at some fearsomely awesome uh, – oh, wait, wait. We're looking at some fearfully awesome <laughs> <laughs> characters. Of course, when you think of therapy and counseling and anxiety and fear in Star Trek, you have to think of Mr. Broccoli. You have to think of <laughs> – Mr. Broccoli. <laughs> full name. Do you know his full name? Um, Reginald something Barkley. It's Reginald Endicott Barkley Third. Endicott Barkley Third. What a <laughs> name to pass on. Which is part um, of the mystique. <laughs> and then somebody with a much simpler name, uh, Commander <laughs> Saru on uh, Discovery, who's kind of come into our lexicon you know, much more recently. But uh, And they're different. They're different stripes. One is, um, <laughs> is a typical nurture or nature guy. And the other one, it was kind of genetic. Or, or was it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna explore that. Um, today's quite uh, these are two fan favorites, so we have uh, we're very excited to talk about these characters with you. Um, today's question to get us started: Let us know in the comments below what moment from Barkley or Saru's story best captures anxiety. Maybe it best captures anxiety in the way you've experienced it. Maybe it's a moment you identified with. Maybe it's a moment that was just a really good moment in Star Trek. Let us know in the comments below. We would love to hear from you. And uh, yes, um, a lot of folks, Larry, a lot of folks are loving your setup this week. Um, well, looking yay. and sounding good. <laughs> Good. It's amazing what happens when you get into like, you know, 1998 technology. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Some of that super futuristic technology from 1996 from the future, but Voyager just captured it. Right. That that tech? Right. Thank you, Captain Braxton. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we made a few upgrades. Um, yes, and, we have uh, made a few upgrades. Yeah, Some yeah. of you may have even caught our upgrade tests over the yeah. week. <laughs> we did a small test on Wednesday night on Twitch. I hear, and I hear we were big on Twitch, it. Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So if this is your first time at Life Support, welcome. Welcome to our community. We are so happy to have you here. This is a show where we have a lot of fun and we talk about um, Star Trek as it relates to mental health and how it can help us to improve our lives. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, Larry and I are going to explore these elements and there's an opportunity for you to join in as well. How do they yeah. do that, Dr. Trek? 
Well, look, we've got the chat window here. We are yep. multi-streaming across. And I want to say for the first time, welcome to my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> we plugged in your YouTube channel now. My YouTube channel is plugged in too. So you can watch us on YouTube on The Psych Show probably. Or you can mm-hmm. even watch them on my nation YouTube channel. But Facebook Live, is I've got a big community on Facebook Live for Trekland Tuesdays Live. You've got your Facebook channel is turned mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And we have this, wow, our Twitch channel is just going like bang busters we've got four followers now on twitch and and folks caught us the other night on our twitch test so yeah you can chat in there or or you can skype call in and yes we worked the bugs out on this hopefully you can skype (laughs) us as you see there on life support live host yes so yes so please try to you can be on camera don't be don't be fearful don't be anxious (laughs) come on in with us and share your thoughts Sometime during the hour. Um, we, uh, the, the Twitch audience is growing. Kai, Cairo47 said, I'm switching to Twitch, um, just so you have more people over there. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Good to have you <laughs> folks. Your are so small D democratic based. They're like, oh, I'll help. We're happy to have you, uh, wherever, wherever you might be. So let's, let's get started with the the briefing room, um, right now. So, um, Larry, we were talking about this. What makes, uh, Saru and Barkley so unique? And one of the things that seemed to really stick out is Barkley was the first time we saw a character who was not the best at everything. So there's a, there's this thing and it wasn't, you know, generically on the original series, they were, you know, people were a better, it was supposed to be the 23rd century and people were a better breed. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, Roddenberry was trying to say, well, look, it's in the future. We haven't blown ourselves up. We haven't killed the planet. We obviously had to have persevered. We've all learned to get along. That was one of the aspirational, wonderful things that made Star Trek stand out in the middle yep. of the Vietnam War and the Cold War yep. and go down the line and the civil strife, civil rights strife and all the strives that can separate people. Look, we united to survive, and now we're looking for it out there and bringing that renewed philosophy out. Okay, we all knew that was the strife, but still, Scotty and McCoy and Kirk could get into some scrapes and fight, even when there wasn't an alien influence that they were under, right? There were right, times they right. could disagree. And Gene, after being guruified <laughs> for the 80s. <laughs> Between and TOS and TNG. Yes, we're going from TOS to TNG. Those, the 80s and the, the 70s and the 80s. So rather than having his lead captain be, you know, James Bond, re- you know, crossed with John F. Kennedy, we've got, we've got Elder Gene creating, I don't know, the, the Dwight Eisenhower of Starship captains, only make him French with an English accent. <laughs> you know, so everything is a little more studied and refined. But Gene has said he he doubles down even more on this uh, the perfect humans meme, which drove writers up the wall. Mm-hmm. And it took two or three or four years to get what that meant. And you know, drama co- and because writers say I'm I'm writing writing drama is about conflict. How can you do drama if you don't have you know your wackadoodle, as Maury Hurley said, <laughs> your wackadoodle sci-fi ideas are one thing, but we're trying to do a TV show here. You know. But that heightened, that heightened sense of uh, perfect humans, it was hard to find it, but you would, you would do it. So, but against all of that, here comes Reginald Endicott Barkley III. It's like a lightning bolt because here's a guy who is anxious and stutters and stammers and has all kinds of brilliant guy, brilliant guy. Obviously, that's what sustained him. He went through the regular 
you know, Starfleet course here. He went to the academy and graduated and has been assigned, but he's been assigned at places and he's done great work, but he was on the Zukov, which I'd forgotten I loved. Oh, the Zukov. Oh, I totally yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's a guy who's got some issues dealing socially. And, you know, does perfect humanity in the 24th century mean you're perfect on all counts? Is there no room for the brilliant, odd genius? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's so. As a kid, and that's what that posed. Hollow Pursuits was his yes. uh, debut in the third season, and boy, did we get introduced to Barkley. <laughs> well, I I so loved watching Barkley episodes as I was growing up because he, um, you know, the thing that really appealed to me about Star Trek and why I love Star Trek so much more, why I got into it so much more than Star Wars is this was us in the future. And um, characters like Barkley were, I could identify with them. The, the rest of the crew, they were the ones who I wanted to be like. They were the aspirational goals, which I feel like a lot of TNG is. TNG is this aspirational goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Barkley was one of those characters who struggled. And I liked seeing those struggles. We see more characters like that later on in Star Trek. We, O'Brien is a really great example of a character who's struggling with his own racism and the we Cardassian War. The, yeah, yeah, all, yeah, exactly. Like every sequel series that comes after that. And, um, there was a character who struggled with his own, um, uh, xenophobia with the Romulans in TOS. Um, I'm blanking on the Styles. characters. Yes. Yeah, yes. We had, I mean, you know, we had seen troubled people along well we obviously have had they had bad morals early on we had ben finney who mm. went who who spiraled down he pu- he pulled a raffi he got he had yeah. one bad mo- well raffi didn't have a bad moment she'd had a troubled life but she was holding it together ben finney remember uh hit out in the pod yes and let himself be presumed dead to get back it to, to it was a vindictive it was a vengeance thing of getting back at kirk for being on report one time when they were younger and he festers on it for 15, 20 years. So, yes, we did have the trouble. But, you know, they would be the troubled people who would either commit some egregious act or, ha- you know, we're going to send them off for some treatment or, yeah. you know, or we'll yeah. have Captain Garth will become, you know, mentally right. unstable and be solved by some powder in a vial or something. Right. And, and Barclay's a character who we actually got to know over the course of many episodes. He's a character that actually got an arc. Rebecca says that Barclay always felt mis- like misunderstood comic relief. We're supposed to find his holo- um, his holodeck amusing. But I think a lot of us can sympathize in having a fantasy world we all feel safe in. Something we're going to talk about in a moment here. And Cairo says, I love Barclay was suddenly a complete completely different person and showed his brilliance when people took him seriously and his anxiety went away. And and that's what I love about Barkley, as opposed to all those other characters you mentioned, Larry. Here is someone who is struggling and contributing to the crew, can make a difference. Um, there's this wonderful episode in TNG where um, there's a, is it Masterpiece Society? Is that what it's called? The Perfect People. The Perfect People, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and Jordy's visor technology is what saves them from disaster, but he is mm-hmm. someone who probably would never have been born in that society. Uh, I love yes. the message of that episode about, um, this is something Temple Grandin, who uh, who has autism and has really created a lot of innovative ways to humanely slaughter animals. She's says the world needs all types of brains and i think star trek has really embraced that in many ways until 
Barkley, though, it never really embraced that as it relates to mental health. And that is the big difference I think Barkley made and really set the stage for characters who also struggled in their own way. You don't have to be a perfect human to be in the 21st century. You do need to aspire towards growth, though. And we see that in all these characters that struggle. They're struggling and they're aspiring to be better. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, you mentioned this the other day when we were planning, but... uh... I, and I'd never thought about that, but, but Barkley really was structurally for Star Trek anyway, was the, the break that was, was the foundational character that allowed us to, I don't want to say how a flood of broken people who, who were still heroic, <laughs> but he kind of, he kind of set the mold for that, mm-hmm. you know, cause then after that we have people, I was just thinking we have people like, you know, Ensign Rowe who had a troubled past and was still had a lot to contribute and was very heroic. But had their demons, uh, as it were, and then you've got, and then you just get into all the other, you know, DS Nine and and Voyager, and <laughs> and I heard a little thing called Discovery and Discovery. Uh, so that should, that brings us to Saru, which we should talk about. Also, been a fan favorite. Um, I know in the comments there's been a lot of love towards Barkley, um, and there's a little bit more complex feelings towards Saru um, on Discovery for fans of Discovery. Saru does seem to be a fan favorite. Um, acted by um, Larry, help me out here, Doug Jones, who is. The great Doug Jones. The yeah. great Doug Jones. We, uh, many of you will, well, I was going to say many of you will recognize him from many of his other roles, but you probably won't because he disappears into these roles and all these prosthetics and he just becomes these characters. I have really loved Saru for similar reasons and yet I've also been frustrated by Saru and where, where he went. But let's, let's talk about Saru a little bit, uh, Larry. How did, um, this character is so different than all the other characters we see on that bridge as well in, in a similar way as Barkley is? Good, good thing there, Ali, since that was kind of his role in the show. <laughs> He's the, I don't, I'm not into tokenism, but Star Trek always has the token alien on the bridge, right. at least. And yeah, that was Saru. And, you know, it's, it's like with everything else of Star Trek and whatever you thought of Discovery, I think, I just want to say this. I think Saru is like a lightning rod for the Discovery cast. I think with mm-hmm. all the sturm and drang around, you know, with all the controversy around Discovery and the pitch battles and, and the, and the troubled history that it had. And it's much now grounded better. I'm excited to see what they do with the new season. If we ever get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> now that, now that Jeff Russo is recording the soundtracks one on one with all his musicians in their own homes. That's oh my amazing. gosh. Oh my gosh. But I think out of all of that, of Discovery's history that we'll always look back on, I think Saru was one of the unifying points that people weren't, I think people can't help but be intrigued. Once, it's like once the creatives go to the trouble to design a backstory and design a new alien culture, because we can't have a token alien on a new show's bridge without it being a, most of the time, without it being a new invented culture. You know, like, oh, look, it's Denobulans. Oh, look, it's, you know, it's the Bajorth. But <laughs> we, um, um, they spend so much time, you know, the backstory and then the design. What is the alien design? How do they work on the, right. you know, Odo's mask for as a shapeshifter uh, evolved the first year or two. Even, even Worf's mask, his prosthetics. Yeesh, the first season got better. Oh, yeah. If you look at them yeah. season to season to movie to DS9, Worf's like had cosmetic surgery. He looks, <laughs> he looks very, his forehead has changed a lot. And his, and this is not my term. When he lost his Donna Reed hair was when he really <laughs> leaped forward. That was, <laughs> that was Mike Westmore's, uh, letter, that or Renee. Anyway, what I'm saying about Saru is, 
it's almost like people will pick apart any other Star Trek aspect, but you be kind of if someone goes to trouble to invent a new culture, a new species, and then individualize that in a character that we're going to get a lot of screen time on because that's the Star Trek role of the outsider looking at humanity, yeah. Yeah. right? The commander, the commentarian, right. um, the the <laughs> the contrary commentarian, and. And I think people, you know, Saru was always kind of a unifying point. People could say, well, at least, I mean, I think most people would say, well, you know, I don't like a lot about Discovery, but I love Saru. And he had such a, they really, he had such a different kind of alien. He almost looked like he was an action figure of plastic parts put together. Right. But the the compelling thing in all those early promos, when they would run his token line about my species senses death. It's like, that's what we do. We're not into logic. We're not into war. We're not into being (laughs) blue-blooded. We sense fear and death. And that was like, whoa. That was an instant, you know, invite for people to be intrigued. And yes, it's been evolved. And we finally got to see his people and his planet in the short treks, you know, and as they evolved his arc. But what I've heard, what's been intriguing me, and it's been compelling. And then, so that's his frame that all of the drama that we see with all the other characters and the, and the plot and brother has there been a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> we see it reflected through his eyes, right. And his reflection, his reaction to it. And you were very intriguing to me talking about your big disappointment here lately. Yeah. Said. Yeah. So um, I'll get into the, the mental health side of this in the counselor's log in a, in a little bit. But one thing that's been that I loved about season one, Saru and in the short track, I, I love his short track. Um, I love the mm-hmm. story with his family um, and this idea of a character that is biologically wired and evolved to experience anxiety in a heightened way. I think it's been such a wonderful parallel to those of us who, for one reason or another, might experience highly intense physical symptoms of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Some of us are born with the volume turned up on anxiety. We're just genetically wired to experience more of it. And for those of us, I think Saru has been this wonderful parallel of, hey, look, you might be wired to experience the world in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. And here are all of the ways in which you can make such a big difference because you have this completely different view. Like, I I loved that idea, that parallel with Saru. With Barclay, I always feel like Barclay is a great parallel to the more analytic aspects of anxiety where you get lost in worries and thoughts and how do people think of me and what's going to happen and saru has been so much the physical side of fear and experiencing the world in a very heightened way my frustrations with with saru going into season three is his he evolved into a character who now seems to be fearless and um i i like I like what he had to go through and he had to overcome this thing that his culture just, um, just feared because of the, the conflict on his planet and, and all of that backstory. I love that. But he seems to have turned into this fearless character and that is just far less compelling and interesting to me. And I also think for those of us who might have struggled with anxiety or who do struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm. who connected with Saru for that reason, well, where does that leave us? Because we can't just go through this metamorphosis well, and change I, like that. If it's any comfort, I would say we're not Kelpians. Right. 
and he and Saru is not human. So on one hand, right, right, our right. experience and our attraction to a character in a drama in a TV show, even Star Trek, which is way above mere te- television, um, our attraction to a character doesn't mean like we're one for one. I would I would hope. I mean, having some help, you know, we over we have a Venn diagram here of what we like about that character. And if something we appreciate or if something the richness of the texture of what we gravitate to, you know, if that radically shifts in a way, then, yeah, I can be I, now I feel like I'm diagnosing. It can, be, it can be upsetting. Help me, Doctor Trek. Help, Help me with my. <laughs> You're my only hope. Ooh, we're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> by the way, if I didn't say it up front, you got Doctor Trek here and Doctor Ali, and what's best of all, one of us is actually a real doctor. <laughs> but you know, but what I'm saying here, it is, might be hard to figure out who's whom. During <laughs> <laughs> our episode. moments like this, depends on what you're after. What are you? What are, what are you hanging your shingle over? No. The, what I'm trying to say here is, yes, if, if what initially attracted you to a, to a character has shifted significantly. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Discovery and Saru are very much an unfinished book right now. Right. Yeah, And absolutely. what just struck me, I didn't even thought about this, but as you sp- – this is why collaboration is so important, people, <laughs> <laughs> within a pandemic or not. Um, you know, there was a time when – the character of another famous Star Trek commentator, Alien. Oh, a five-letter word starting with S, let's say. Mm. When Spock lost his human side, when Spock went to be all emotion, uh, basically mm-hmm. talking about his revival in the in the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. And we saw the – and then he came – you know, Spock was human, half-human, but he was trying to suppress the human. That was his whole – he was actually giving us – we thought we were watching a Vulcan every week. We were watching a half-human, half-Vulcan. Tuvok was our first real Vulcan and Sarek and all of that, right? Yep. And then we get the the trauma of the motion picture and then the Wrath of Khan and then the search for Spock. And then he swung the other way where he's trying to be all logic all the time and totally purge his human side, not just get away from it, but purge it. And there was a very sterile Spock there for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Until McCoy and Kirk and Adventure kind of – Pulled him back from that. But mm-hmm. what you're saying about Saru, in the moment, we just had a very traumatic life event. I mean, my God, mm-hmm. Saru, look, we're sitting here talking about Saru as an example of fear and anxiety. And I want to see what everybody thinks about this in the chat. I, I'm behind on my chatting, guys. So the, I'll chat, the chat is firing at full cylinder. But let so. me make this point here because you just inspired in me. Yeah. Ah. We're catching through mid-stride, and the yes. very thing that you might have thought you identified with him, it might be a temporary – I don't say temporary, but it might be just – You know, we're going to see what happens now. He yeah. may be like a Spock, and his pendulum swings may settle out into a new normal, but they'll still retain a lot. Of, there may still be ways for fear to creep in because not only has, has Saru – what do I say? Revolutionized his own character. He's revolutionized their whole friggin' society. Yeah, yeah. And um, Night Angel uh, DK said, um, Saru's kind of defeated death. It might give a person too much confidence, which I, I really do identify with this comment. Um, I'm, I'm someone who grew up with a massive amount of social anxiety. Um, it was selective mutism when I was a kid, which sounds super cool, like an X-Men superpower. It's not. It means in certain situations, someone pressed a mute button on me. And it was for me, whenever I left the home, that 
evolved into social anxiety. And with the help of a really good teacher in high school, I overcame that. And that's what inspired me to treat anxiety, um, become someone who's mm. an anxiety specialist. Um, but just backing up for a second, there was a period of time when I learned how to deal with social anxiety that I became too confident and mm -hmm. became too oh, cocky. Compensate. Right, right. And I flipped to the other end to a, to my own, to the detriment of some of my own relationships. And if we see that angle with Saru, or if we see some of the consequences now of someone who has overcome a fear and might be swinging too much on the other end, that would be a beautiful story too. Yeah. So, um, I really appreciate that, Larry, this kind of holding up that like we are in the middle of a story and this story is going in some weird directions anyways like we we're going farther into the final frontier than any of us has ever gone Where no before. kelpian has gone before no um, i was as you were speaking and talking about your own case and i know it's it's you know it's pop culture magnified but i'm just thinking of raj on the big bang theory and his mm. his selective mutism around women mm -hmm. and it was you know it was played for comic effect but i think that they kind of they i don't think they ever went you know and they eventually had him um get some counseling get some experience and grow out of it in the right in a healthy way but just as far as a you know a handy reference point there well i, I think that's a really great However, segue larry i think that's a really great segue to the counselor's it log is. um this is our segment where i am looking at these elements through the lens of a psychologist and boy is there a lot of talk about related to mental health here larry um i got a lot to say so i i already sort of mentioned how um barkley maps on nicely to someone who might struggle with social anxiety he also also maps on nicely to someone who might struggle with something called generalized anxiety disorder. So social anxiety is when people really struggle with situations that might trigger evaluation by other people. So interactions with other people, public speaking, uh, presentation situations, dating situations, forming new friendships, maintaining those friendships, all that kind of stuff. People tend to fear being seen as stupid, strange, weird, unlovable, all of that kind of stuff. And we see the, we see that with Barkley anytime he's interacting with other people. But we also see someone who is um, struggling with generalized anxiety. And that is any situation that produces uncertainty is quite difficult for Barkley. Um, he might tend to worry a lot, second guess himself, seek out reassurance. And what's so cool about Barkley is he also has experienced some phobias. We see him struggle with transporter phobia and this fear of developing transporter psychosis. Is that, mm -hmm. was that the illness? Mm -hmm. Right. That was and the that hardcore edition of the, uh, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And that maps on nicely to what we know about anxiety. People who have struggled with anxiety for a long period of time, they're very likely to experience another anxiety disorder or maybe depression as well. So the fact that uh, Barclay is struggling with these kind of things really maps on nicely to the kinds of anxiety that are very much related to thoughts. 
And what I like about Saru is he does so well capture the experience of people who might be physically wired to experience more anxiety or people who might have gone through traumas and be much more on guard and have this hyper arousal, um, hyper vigilance where you're just much more on guard. Um, people who go through trauma have that. And right. many of us might be experiencing a little bit of both of these things right now. We might be struggling with uncertainty about the future and be thinking about worries and having a hard time calming our minds. And some of us might be feeling very on guard when we go outside, wearing our masks, looking to see where other people are. So I think these characters so well... I hope wearing your mask. I hope wearing... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it protects other people. It Putting up your shields in this situation is what's protecting all of us. <laughs> uh, you know, it's keeping keeping all of us safe. Um, and, and there's other elements, too, that I love about these characters. Like... Um, Barclay's holodeck pursuits. Um, that's not what the episode's called. The episode's called holo oh, Pursu pursuits. Holo pursuits. What great wordplay, Larry. I miss those short episode titles that have a little bit of wordplay, references to Shakespeare, references yeah. to literature, and no Latin. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, recently, these episode names are like titles and theses on, onto themselves. Um, not, not as much of a fan of that, but let me, let me back up. Um, the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I love about the holodeck adventures is they also map on nicely to what we might experience. Um, some of us might be using video games as a way to cope, which can be very helpful unless it starts to get in the way of your life. Which <laughs> Until is, it's not. Yes. Until it's not, yeah. And it. Um, I always tell my patients, we want video games and books and movies and stories, we want them to be a power-up and not a side quest for you. We want them to help you be able to deal with what's going on in your life and connect with other people. We don't want it to be a side quest that takes you away from your life. And we see that play out with, with Barkley. My problem, Larry, in yeah. the counselor's log, I don't think either of these characters really got great mental health treatment or support. Um, well, you know, I mean, we have Barkley to thank for probably 90% of any time poor Deanna Troy yes. was even shown until yes. Nepenthe on Picard. Right. <laughs> and she's right. in retirement and does a bang up job with poor Patrick, Sir Patrick, or poor, uh, uh, John Luke. Um, yeah, there was what she, we saw her counseling one person that, and I've gone blank on the character name that Q mocked. But then after that, it was pretty much, uh, it was pretty, we, she got a set thanks to Barkley. Yes. A real one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nicely decorated. Um, yeah, it's, it's like one of that aspect. It's amazing to me the first season of Deanna when they decided to tone down the empathy, the telepathy, you know, out of the pile of pain, pain, the such pain. I feel the pain. And it was like, well, now what are we going to do with her? And it was like, well, she's a counselor. Why don't you have her counsel? And then she turned into the language person and the, uh, the, the, you know, the captain's, uh, ambassador to new cultures person. And it was like, but she's a counselor. She could counsel. And, but so thanks to Barkley, we did see her. We even saw her counseling when it got into the Voyager and the Pathfinder project and all that. We even saw yes. her counseling on vacation. And yeah. 
and, and uh, you know, making house calls. Uh, <laughs> so I, I definitely agree with that. And someone, the curve went up is what I'm trying to say. Some, someone mentioned that in the comments as well. Uh, if it wasn't for Barkley, we would not get um, all of the scene, all of the character development that Deanna Troy got. And um, Rebecca just mentioned, uh, what about Barkley's hypochond- uh, hypochondria? His, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of his health anxiety. Um, I think I can identify with him in the age of, OMG, I sneeze. Do I have COVID? Um, absolutely. And a lot of people who yeah. struggle with generalized anxiety are also vulnerable to health anxiety. We see those things sort of uh, map on together. Um, my, so I love... I love that we got a Star Trek series where one of the senior staff was a mental health therapist. I love that. The problem is, and um, Marina's mentioned this as well, is the way therapy was done in Star Trek The Next Generation mm-hmm. and Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, with Esri, it, it was really based on very old ideas of what therapy is. And the scene that just grinds me, Larry, is plexing. <laughs> Where Deanna says, Oh, have you tried plexing? It's this, uh, you know, this, just, it's this relax, relaxation. muscle in your neck. Yeah. 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 Which is like based for a very different species. It might be a betazoid technique and betazoid physiology might not map onto human physiology. And so it, um, I think we had a great opportunity for Star Trek to show us what evidence-based treatment for anxiety looks like, and we didn't quite get it. Mm -hmm. And what it looks like is um, exposure therapy, helping people to unlearn some of these associations, to form brand new (laughs) ones, learning how to face these situations, experience that fear, um, how to experience it in a healthy way. We didn't quite get that. The other thing with Saru that um i think is could have been cool to see and we didn't how uh, this is something i i think i don't think star trek does too well although i don't know how much science fiction does too well and i actually think discovery is doing this the best out of all the star trek series how do you get these different species who come from different climates and different environments mm-hmm. and have differently wired nervous systems? How do you get them to all interact in the same climate? So the Discovery has the Discovery Enterprise Defiant Voyager. You talk about physical climate? You talk about the environmental system? Or yeah. What are you, are yeah. you talking about a metaphorical climate? Oh, okay. No, yes. the, quite literally, the, the environmental systems, the, Life support systems, Larry. <laughs> <If> you, uh, <laughs> yeah, environmental engineering. But I like you. Yes, the life support. You know, uh, we, they they yeah, all like Cardassians want the rooms colder. Yes, you know all yes. of that down that line. Vulcans want it hotter. Yeah. So if if um, a Kelpian, if a Kelpian exper- if their nervous system is so uh, quick to respond to threats. They would likely need to learn ways to deal with that so that they can function in this environment. Otherwise, all the beeping, the booping, the alerts going off, all the rocks that fall through starships for some reason. Although I haven't seen those quite so much in Discovery. Um, that would really be overwhelming to Saru in a way that people who are vulnerable to panic disorder can get overwhelmed in a crowded environment or someone who has autism can get overwhelmed in a big unstructured social situation. So I would have loved to see Saru 
see some of the skills that he might use to help himself cope by being mm-hmm. on the bridge. Or maybe he's prescribed medication that brings his nervous system down to a level that allows him to interact in this environment. It seems like the environment is built for humans in Star Trek, and we don't see how other aliens cope. Although in Discovery, we do see some aliens wearing those things. And there was that alien in... um. In the next generation, who had a gas? Well, they were um, we, uh, they were benzites. We saw benzites. a couple of them. Yeah, yes. yeah. That was just yeah. a breathing apparatus. And the um, and now I've gone blank on her. It was the character of Non, but she was oh, she was a benzite too. Yes, yes. yes. And had her breathing apparatus. <laughs> Don't make this harder than it is, Larry. She was <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. We we are getting a lot of love for Barkley when he returns to Earth and those scenes mm-hmm. with Troy on Voyager. I think those are some wonderful scenes of um Well, it was it was a great case, a rare case of a character across all the series and let's not forget first contact and another yeah. aspect of fear yeah. and anxiety, even in a positive what ought to be a positive vein and just call it starstruck, a star being starstruck, you know, being overwhelmed in the company of uh, of a celebrity and being either, you know, gone uh, stone cold, <laughs> unmutable or mutable <laughs> or just, you know, that that rattle off at the top. Oh, I'm so glad to see you and you're making a fool of yourself. <laughs> you know, you're just uncorked. Um, either way, however you react. Well, which, Larry, we, we all can identify with that. If you've been to a Star Trek convention and you're, um, and you're meeting someone who you've really looked up to, we've all been in those moments. Uh, Rebecca just said, I always thought of plexing as a placebo and, pff, whoa. If that was a deep level intervention that Counselor Troy was doing to give Barkley something that he might think he, it works for him just to like get him out of her office. I love that idea. That completely changes my view on plexing. Um, oh man! Uh, well, yeah. you were talking about you were talking about uh, uh, maybe plexing was there was a betazoid gland up here or something or a muscle that that's what that really works on, and she was just being uninformed. You missed there was a deleted scene where Diana Troy stood up and said, "Oh, I'm sorry, Mister Barkley. In humans, the plexing gland is down here." Oh, it's a total. That's it. Oh, see, I'm too good. That was a total BS takeoff on McCoy talking about Vulcan heart location. It was a deep cut. Okay, forget it. Forget I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked you in too well. No, sh- there's no such deleted line. But there could have been, and it would have been a wonderful throwback to McCoy and Spock, and where he says, "I'm sorry, Mister Spock, your heart is down here." You know, you can't oh, see me gosh. doing the fist. I'm doing the fist on my lower abdomen here. Okay. Well, Larry, with that, let's let's get into the K3 factor. Uh, this is the segment of Life Support where Larry brings it all back, brings it all back to the original series and the K3 factor, of course, being the reference to McCoy's little dial of mental the health. Only, aside from a psycho tricorder, <laughs> it's like the only reference to mental, and aside from wacky doodle chairs in med scientists, uh, you know, labs and things, uh, and Garth's cure in a, in a bottle. Um, no, the K3 factor was on the bio monitor, and every week I just try to come back and bring a little Trekland here, backgrounding to our topic. And I was a little thin. You'd think fear and anxiety. I was a little, except that I just want to say that that um, Barkley got picked up as a recurring character. And the way the writer's guild works is if you create a character, this is why you see credits on the pilots of the series the way you do, where mm. the creators of the series are always in the mix. Um, on a story, even if they immediately back off and don't write a lot because mm-hmm. they're doing 52 other shows. 
because you're paid. If your character is used ongoing, this is why to Paul was not I mean to Pow was not made the regular character on Enterprise. It was a new character because then they would have paid the theater Sturgeon estate from a muck time. Every episode of Enterprise would have been paid for the character of DePau. But I'm saying this because Barkley, a woman named Sally Caves, who was not a full-time writer, she was actually a linguist and a professor, she created the character of um, Barkley. And it was one of the – it was, you know, and Dwight Schultz is so incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, it was one of the few times that Star Trek actually – what do I say? Actually paid <laughs> an outside person who wasn't even in the industry really – Paid an outside person, you know, for the recurring or paid off anyway, paid for to reuse a character recurringly, and uh, she, there's mm. no record that she had a big, you know, wait really a big, a big record. Yes, wow, that no wait. What do you what are you reallying here? The um, fact that, the first time we we re- we had a recurring character like that. Well, I'm not. I don't know if it was the first time, but it, I sitting here thinking about it, it's like the big cause, because usually. Showrunners and their staffs will reserve the right to I mean people pitch stories all the time, especially yeah. back you know when they had the open policy, and they had twenty six shows a year to fill <laughs> um, and people you know if somebody was saying and this could be a recurring character, it would always unless it was somebody on staff or a friend of somebody on staff, it was always like no thank you we'll you know we'll we'll create something different and go with it or something, but they didn't want to be be held to be again like I said with the Paul and and Tapau. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be beholden to paying some outsider. Who knew what Star Trek would do a hundred years from now? And are we going to be stuck paying for this character for forever? When right. if you're a staff writer, it's just a part of your contract. It's like being a licensee. You're just contributing to the pool, you know, of Star Trekness. So Sally Caves wrote Hollow Pursuits, and she, you know, it was one of the few times that a character. He's not re- regular, but he's uh, recurring. I mean, you know, like O'Brien. You yeah. could say was yeah. in the pilot of uh, of of Next Generation, used years later. You know, yeah. and Ensign Rowe was a creation of I want to say Michael Pillar. So, so you can see that. Anyway, it just struck me. Our K three factor this week is um is not being afraid to go out and pick up some freelance writer's character and, <laughs> and keep paying them for it all down the line. So maybe not as shocking to you as last week's K3 factor. Oh, uh, last Doctor, week was was my was, was my favorite. Um well with that let's let's go on to our It's time our, for an away mission. It's I time think. for an away mission. Uh, yeah. this is the part of the show where um I give you uh, some way in which you can um you can you can apply what we're talking about to your own life right right now. And gosh, I um I kind of meant this as a joke um but uh my away mission for this week is to um, help you all find your own um, plexing technique, <laughs> uh, but now now with this uh, this head cannon that um, thanks to Rebecca that I've developed that uh, maybe this is a placebo, um, maybe that was not the best name, but whatever. Um, so <laughs> yes. these days, would a placebo not be so bad? <laughs> you know, a placebo is, is pretty good. I give placebos to my daughter all the time. She's uh, two and a half, um, more than two and a half now and uh she'll bump her head and you know when you when you uh when you kiss your your child's uh you know boo boo that's a placebo effect and um i guess right now oh. it's um it's ice 
she wants ice on anything that if she just like slightly bumps her shoulder, she'll want ice for it. And it's, it's just oh, good. I thought you were going to say something like you tell her you're slipping a little vodka in her juice. Oh, no, no, really no, water, no. But it's really water. <laughs> no, 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 oh, okay. no, 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 That okay. is not that is not what okay. I meant. So real life plexing. What does that mean? Um, we all need coping skills right now. And that me- a, a, what is a coping skill for anxiety? A coping skill for anxiety is something that you can do or something that you can hold, something that um, that um, helps you to make contact your fe- with your fear in a flexible way. And so we all need something like that that helps us. And um, I've got a video on my YouTube channel called um, 10 Quick Ways to Reduce Anxiety. Um, you all should go watch that if you're interested in this. But I just want to share one thing that I've been doing. Um, the thing that I've been struggling with most this week, um, or not this week, for, for weeks and weeks, is how to calm my mind when I'm going to sleep. Like, that is when I get full of uh, worries about the future and what's going to happen and where do I go. And um, just to give a little sneak peek of the next video that's coming out of my channel, it's all about sleep and how to deal with this. Larry, the thing that has helped me so much is something that I never really did before intentionally, and that is actually visualization. Hmm. So, usually the thing, this will be no surprise to people who know me well, but usually the thing that helped me to fall asleep, I I did this without even realizing it, is imagining a better future. Who would have thought the thing that helps a Star Trek fan fall asleep is imagining a better future? For decades, that's what I've done. But with this pandemic, it's been very hard for me to do that, just because the future is so uncertain. It's... All, all of us are living in the undiscovered country right now. It's all this uncertain future. Uh, just here's my here's my prognosis for you. Yeah. Just think of these times when your normal uh, thinking of a positive future doesn't cut it for you at night. Just think of these times, not as a standalone Star Trek, but as a serialized Star Trek. Huh. And each episode is not huh. going to be an end all. <laughs> Think of it as you're in for the long 10-episode arc. Larry, you're on fire today. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Trek is bringing it home. I love that idea because that idea helps me to think of uh, Saru and Discovery and, and all of that. Um, well, I have been doing time travel. So instead of thinking about the best uh, a, a positive future, what has helped me so much is to think of a moment from my past that makes me feel so happy and good. And for, and the trick to doing good visualization, like imagination is the next best thing to reality. Humans are so good at imagining different things. And the trick to really making it work is a lot of sensory details. Um, any like, um, sounds or images or the feeling of touching different things or textures and smells. 3D holography. Well, yeah, if we had it, gosh, that would really solve a lot of insomnia problems. Um, for me, uh, this sounds corny, but the thing that makes me, that helps me to fall asleep is thinking about my wedding day, honestly. Um, it went 
really well. And I think about the music. I actually listen to some of the songs that were played. Um, I can look at some of the images. I think about these. There was this moment when my whole wedding party, we were walking through this park in New York and um, we all got popsicles and we all ate popsicles. And I love that moment. This me and my closest friends we were all together having popsicles. I get into that zone. And the more I'm able to latch onto those details, it helps me to just fall asleep and calm myself. So we all need a little plexing. So watch that video, 10 Quick Ways to Reduce Your Anxiety on my YouTube channel and think about what is one thing that helps you to make contact with the kind of situations that you want to be in. Um, and that is real life plexing. That is a real life coping skill. I'm such a Midwesterner, uh, Southerner. I just, all I could think of you telling that story was, oh my God, I hope you weren't wearing white tuxes. So. <laughs> no, we were wearing gray suits. Okay. Um, so I forget the, what color shirts we were wearing. Probably. So I was just seeing. So I was just seeing your popsicles dripping all over your wedding gear. <laughs> they were. Uh, they were. Um, they were definitely uh, dripping. But and um, you on going. What were you thinking? No. My my best man was making sure everyone was was all clean. Uh, so thank you for that, Loan. Thank you for keeping us all clean. And with that, we're gonna close up the away mission and head into my favorite segment, um, the hailing frequencies. We're we gonna need a open little up. Bleep there, you know, we need a little, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're opening up those hailing frequencies. uh, Someone. Someone mentioned earlier. We've had, we've had, I just want to say, Dr. Ali, I guess I said, tell someone this must be a very intense topic for you because Mm. I think it was, um, uh, day, our friend, our friend and would be Skype caller Dan said, uh, I guess this is the episode of Life Sport where our comments are less discussed by our pair of hosts. <laughs> Time to throw these guys out and get some new hosts. Yeah. Only Look, five episodes in and, uh, we're already being replaced. They forgot. It's not, it, it, yeah, this is an episode where I've got a lot of strong feelings. I mean, anxiety is what I, what I do, what I've lived. It's, it's my thing. Um, but we, this is what healing frequencies is for. Yeah. yeah, so if you'd like to talk to us um, on Skype, send us a message at Life Support Host. Uh, that'll get you to us. Or let us know in the comments, too. Hey, I, I want to talk. Um, this is my Skype username, yeah. and, and we'll, we'll get you on the show. Um, but this is also a time where um, you can appear on the show if you want to appear, or we're going to take uh, comments and kind of focus on some of this discussion. <laughs> I'm scrolling back in the chat anyway. And, Did you do a little cue? I was, was a little I was just saying, a f- you said you could appear in the show, and all I thought of was like, yes, it's a Q-Flash. That was the official name in scripts, by the way. And now a Q-Flash. Oh, really? It was yeah, called that's Q-flash. what they call it. That's what it was called. The, the visual effects guys would call it. A, well, now here's where we stuck in a Q-Flash, because it was that, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm just looking at some of our past chats and some of them from earlier on. So, uh Cairo 47, I like the name, yeah. uh, said, I think Doug Jones, this is another example of what an astute actor Doug Jones is. Uh, Cairo 47 says, I think Doug Jones said that Saru went on to the extreme of no fear in basically the enthusiasm, right, of having right. lost it. And he'll come back to a healthy, quote unquote, amount of fear in season three. He won't he won't go off on a tear, which just to me just shows what a brilliant actor Doug Jones is that he had the foresight to agree with us yeah. today. 
Yeah. Way ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Libby is, uh, Libby, Libby and Jared have mentioned, uh, COVID dreams are really a thing. Ooh, so yeah. that is absolutely true. Um, r- there's two things happening right now. Your, your dreams are sort of one way in which your mind is just kind of working through the memories and thoughts of the day and combining them with the past and doing all sorts of things. Um, and some people would completely disagree with that and say, we have no idea why we dream. And, you know, that's true as well. So uh, dreams are a weird thing, but, Two things are happening. One is so many of our thoughts are about this pandemic. So that's being reflected in our dreams. The other thing is a lot of us have disrupted sleep right now. So we're not, we're having a hard time sleeping through the night. And um, when you don't get good sleep, you actually remember your dreams better. And, um, it's, it's a weird paradoxical thing, wow. but, um, because so much, so many of us are not getting good sleep, we're actually, the dreams are sticking out in our minds more than they would normally. So it's, that's my long way of saying that is our new normal. You are not alone. We are all experiencing that. I, I used to remember dreams when I was a kid much better than as an adult. But what I've realized over the last 10 or 20 years is the time when I remember a dream now is, and I've seen a pattern if I'm awakened to some extent, like early in the morning, like six or seven or something, and I and I still get, but I just get like an hour to sleep a little more, but I drop right back into somehow a, a deep sleep that you wouldn't think you would get that late in your cycle. I will remember the dreams of that fall back to sleep time, that little mm. hour time that I had after I was awakened, and then somehow found a deep enough sleep to dream again, mm-hmm. and then I'll wake up and realize I had a dream, and then I'll think, wow, I don't remember my dreams much anymore, and then I've seen that pattern of being awoken and then thrown back. So it's almost yeah. like it was close to the end. So I remembered it. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly it is you're more likely to wake up. And when that happens, um, if you have a hard time falling asleep again, you'll probably remember your dream more. But most of us actually wake up in the middle of the night and then go back to sleep. We don't we don't remember that we did that. But when when it's harder to fall back asleep, then the the dream sticks out more. So, you know, if you if you're struggling with those dreams and they're having some kind of impact on you, the old idea was you go to an expert and they can interpret your dreams. And we don't really believe that anymore because yeah, dreams are so weird. Um, there's no one dream means something to everyone. There are some kind of stress dreams that are pretty common, but it's really hard to determine meaning out of it. The best person equipped to determining meaning of the dream is you. So, if you if dreams are sticking out in your mind and they're having an impact on you, just kind of scribble them down really quick and then talk it through with a friend. And the big question to really ask yourself is, um, what does this dream mean to me? Or how has this dream impacted me? And that's a discussion to have. You can have that discussion with a friend. You can have it with a loved one. And that's really the best thing you can do to kind of work through some of these dreams if you're if you're struggling with that. Yeah. And uh, I should say that if you guys will repeat this at the end, but you know, every week we we I we put up a, a poll so you can help us pick next yeah. solution. We've got several ideas outlined, don't worry. But we put up three or four each week uh, on our Facebook page. And if you're not there, please go and, you know, when we're done, go and like our Facebook page, Life Support Live. There's a poll there every week. And then on my personal Twitter, Larry Nemechek, and my um, – uh, what's that other thing now? Um, Instagram, <laughs> Larry Nemechek's Trekland. Uh, I, I'll run the same poll there. But we put up at least three options to vote. And sleep has very much 
come to prior conversations yeah. yep. here, and it's been one of our topics, you know, in the hopper, as it were, for the last few weeks. So if you want to, we we some of this talk about sleep and and dreams, maybe or dreams deserves its own topic. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, uh, we can, we'll get to this. We'll we'll focus on this in one of these upcoming weeks. Uh, Clayton has a great comment here that I just um, I think I can shed some light on. Clayton asks, "I'm just annoyed that my dreams keep using imagery from my 80s high school time. I'm 57, so you think my brain would use better, more up to date settings?" Have you Clayton. updated your dream app? There, right. Clayton? Yeah. Did you do a system update, Clayton? Because you just plug yourself in and update your settings. So here's the thing. I might I might have an answer for you. Um, not all memories are created equally um, for two Ooh. reasons. Um, Ooh, I want that on a plot. Yeah. Not all memories are created equally. Um, <laughs> your, your memories from your experiences from your teenage years and your 20s seem to be very formative in influencing mm. who you are. And Larry, I think this can also help explain our fandom conversations that we usually have about like what your Star Trek is and how we all get upset 20 years later when there's a new version of Star Trek that's very different from your version of Star Trek. It's because your teenage years and your 20s, those memories are much more important. And, and here's why. Your mind really prioritizes new information, new experiences, surprising information, novel situations. And when we are in our teenage years and our 20s, we are more going through new experiences than we do in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. Um, this is also why our perception of time changes, Larry. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you were a kid, summer right. vacation felt like forever. And now, you know, years can kind of go like this. Um, and now in the pandemic, the Q flash, the Q, <laughs> yeah, whoosh, yeah. Um, and no, then I, I, I remember what I was, I don't know, I remember thinking, I don't know where it was, when it dawned on me that when you're a kid, say if you're five, yeah. a year is one fifth of your yes. life. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When you're 50, it's a tenth of your life. Yes, yes. That's a beautiful yeah. way to think yeah. about it. Yeah. And that's why all memories are not equal. And that's why, um, that's why this pandemic will impact kids much more differently than it'll impact, um, adults. Like, a lot of people graduating high school and college are so down about missing out on these experiences of prom and graduation and spring break and all of that. And adults might see that and be like, well, what's the big deal? It's a very big deal for them because it's such a bigger chunk of their life than it is for us. Um, and it's also a part of their life that will never come back. So um, that what you're is saying for us survivors at one point when something big, when our initial take on Star Trek, our introduction to Star Trek, among other yeah. things. Yeah. At the time when we did, if we were a kid, it was yeah. a huge chunk. There was a lot less yes. of life to have crowded it out. And now yes. we, we at least carry what the emotion attached to it. Yes. Even if Star Trek is still, well, maybe it is a fifth of our world or a half our world. But the initial, the, the greeting point or whatever you call it. Yes. The emotion tied to that is as big, even if it's not taking up the core in our brain, the memory space, the emotion space is still as big as it ever was. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Is that's a convoluted way of maybe getting. Yeah, your values, your ideals, your expectations—they're um, they're far more crystallized in your teenage years and your twenties, and those memories are just more mm -hmm. more 
I'm one of my favorite academic terms, salient. They stick out more. Mm. Um, so, so that's what's happening with those dreams. Um, uh, I, I, I really love, uh, Jared's comment here. Uh, when this is all done and life uh, with the new normal has begun, there should be a life support live weekend retreat at a Hampton Inn somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> at a Hampton Inn? Okay. Hey, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Larry, I I'd to love say, to host the. I got to do a shout retreat. out to our. I'm going to just start calling. I've known Dan often yeah? by distance for a long time, but I have to call him our would be Skyper Dan. Uh, who pointed out and corrected me, mm. and thank you, Nan was a Barzan, not a Benzai. She was a Barzan, like the Barzan wormhole bidding folks. Uh, Bhavani. Perf- hey, Larry, Pervere Bhavani. Uh, but there was a Benzai throwback after the two you saw early. The same actor played them in um, something Push, I think. Mm. Uh, Alan Push or something. Anyway, the two you saw, one with Wes and one later that was the arrogant one. Um, there was a pilot, there was a runabout pilot on DS9 that died when all the reg, it was like the red shirt of the, of the runabout crew. Everyone else is on the planet and the runabout gets zapped, I think. Anyway, there, there was a throwback Ben Zite. But anyway, thank you, Dan, for keeping me up on my B, my B aliens there. Yeah, and Dan, I think it's the same Dan's also mentioned we might have a latency I- issue. Um, you know, Larry, we just can't win. We we change a couple of things and something happens. So um, thanks to the a few people who, who have mentioned that, some audio, video stuff. We're, we'll work on it. We'll see if we can improve that for next week. And we'll probably have a whole new problem that um, that you can all experience next week. So, so we're working on it slowly but surely um it's just larry and i doing this um we would <laughs> love to have someone especially else. when we don't have a skype what, what when somebody said are we having a big delay between your frame and my frame on yeah. the output oh. yeah which which is a new problem for us we haven't had that <laughs> sinking issue um and it didn't we didn't have that sinking problem feeling on- maybe but not a sinking issue <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we didn't have that problem on Wednesday, so um, we'll 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 try it out. We'll we'll fix it. Um, when uh, we did a, a audio test video, but test don't let that here. scare anybody away from skyping in with us. We've yeah. Got- yeah. yeah. If anyone live wants to join us, post. we'd love, we'd love to have, we'd love to have you. Um, Rebecca says, I guess that's why it's hard for us to identify with teens. For me, my prom grad was over 20 years ago and I remember maybe two details from prom, none from graduation. So I'm like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's, hmm. it's, um, for people who are younger, um, the other thing that they don't have, so we talked about Barkley and uncertainty and anxiety uh, with Saru as well. Those of us who are older adults, we have gone through longer periods of uncertainty than most teenagers have. The first time a lot of teenagers uh, really get an experience with uncertainty is if, if they apply to college. That's like months and months of waiting and not knowing what their future is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Adults have more experiences of learning how do you deal with uncertainty. That like dwelling on it all day and night is not a good thing. Like we many of us have learned that at some point. Um, so the, for the long fuses of life, as it were. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and, and while none of us have gone through a pandemic before, we have uh, adults are more likely to have gone through long periods of uncertainty and learning how do you tolerate uncertainty. But for teenagers and young adults, 
every first thing is a first thing and you don't know how to deal with it. This is why breakups are harder for teenagers than they are for adults because they do not know that at some point they will feel less sad. They don't know that because they've never experienced that before. So it's just um, every big emotional moment, it's just harder for teenagers. And their brains are wired a little bit differently, too. Their frontal lobes haven't finished developing. Your frontal yeah, they're, lobe... They're, they're immature, not to be... That's not a judgmental term. It's a descriptive term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the teenage brain is wired for learning new experiences. So the emotional part of the teenage brain, think of that as the accelerator on your car. Um, the accelerator works very quickly for teenagers. The frontal lobe, the part that's planning and it controls emotions um, and thinks about the future, that's very slow to work. That's like the brain on the uh, the brake on the car. So the, they have a slow brake and a fast accelerator. That helps them to learn new things quickly. It also makes them much more emotional, and they don't they're less equipped to deal with those emotions. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to go through the chat. Um, someone and I I think it was uh, I think it was uh, Cairo. Uh, said, uh, when you talked about, um, uh, uh exposure as mm-hmm. a therapy, mm-hmm. you talked about O'Brien talking about his, uh, spider Christina to get over his fear of spiders. O'Brien had a spot. I don't remember this at all. It's a, it's a, it's a 30 second scene at a tag with a Barkley episode, I think, in a, in a next gen. When Bark, when O'Brien was allowed to be young and foolish and an undeveloped <laughs> character and things like playing a cello popped in, you know. Huh. Brian, really? Yes. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so but that's uh, exactly yeah, uh, making yourself go through go through things. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's some good examples of what exposure therapy is like in Star Trek. Um I'm um I think we've seen moments like that with um with other characters, but just with Barclay, I think it was just, um uh, well, I mean, I'll say this with Esri. Esri when she was working with Garrick Garrick needed exposure therapy as well when he was going experiencing your his favorite c- counseling scene. And stuff. Oh, man, Larry, that it's episode. another show. That's another uh, show. That's I, another okay, show. okay, thank you. Larry is my uh, therapist this episode. Larry's keeping me uh, keeping me level headed. Oh, Esri, I have Esri. Uh, so many great things about Esri, and then we also so many frustrations. Yes, love- yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've never met a Star Trek, uh, cast member I've not liked. I will say that. Um, everyone's been awesome. Um, I'm looking for something. Take, take it, Ollie. I'm looking for something for, to post in the chat here. Well, okay. So, uh, we're also now getting some feedback that I might be on a delay as well. So, uh, um, well, if we're both delayed, then aren't we delayed together? What are we? Maybe, Larry, we're just slightly in the future. Um, maybe, you know, the, I think the problem is maybe everyone watching the show is just experiences time in such a linear fashion. And we, you know, um, in such, uh, three dimensional terms, uh, let me, (laughs) let me put my, uh, let me put my profits filter on the the camera and get all glowy for you. Okay. Cause you know, glowy Uh, implies a non-lineality. Okay. (laughs) That's an old international symbol. Yes. 
Night Angel DK says, I love Garrick. He was so funny. Garrick was, um, it's a deadly sort of way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There, there, there isn't really a character on Deep Space Nine I don't love. Um, I want to say Garrick was one of my favorites, but they were all my favorites. I love that. I love that, uh, crew so much. Um, all right. One question. Um, this is coming from Dan. Um, how much do you think it's healthy to watch Star Trek per week? Oh, Dr. Trek, I'm going to let you take this one first. How healthy is it to watch Star Trek every week? How how healthy or yes. how much is healthy? What was that? Do you think it's healthy to watch Star Trek? Oh, um, yes. Yes. At least 47 hours a week. <laughs> That's a lot. That, that's okay. That's 47. Well, that's know, basically 47 40, episodes. Okay. Okay. Well, then 47 minutes is about one episode with commercials of the old school. So I, you got to have more than one hour a week, hour a week. No, I think a lot of people get, they, you know, one, a lot of people come home from work uh, when they have work to come home from. And if they're not, then they get away from homeschooling the kids and fixing dinner and whatever else they've done at home yeah. these days. But a lot of people sit down. You see it all the time. I mean, how many? How many in our chat? You you watch a show a night. It's your it's yeah. your spin down time, you yeah. know. And maybe if you're maybe if you're pushing it, you have another. You have a second, <laughs> even though your bartender <laughs> says, "Hey, you've had your limit." You go for that. You go for a double, and or you know, it's a movie or it's a two parter. Okay, right. okay. Right. Or it's a serialized that. show, and you just have to watch all of season six of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've wait, got a, Esri, Esri wasn't in season six. She was in seven. So no, she's in season seven. That's why I watched season six, Larry. <laughs> you stopped. There was a whole whole bunch more to that show after the sixth season. Oh man. Um. Well, so I've got a um. I've got a video called TV for Your Mental Health, which explores this question um in a lot of detail. So you can check that video out. Uh, Larry's totally right here. Um. I would actually be watching more Star Trek right now if um, if my w- schedule wasn't so weird. So my schedule right now is um, um, my wife and I are working from home. We're trading off on watching our child while we're in Zoom meetings. And once she's asleep, we get to watch like one thing together before I have to then start doing work that I couldn't do during the day. Um, and she's not a Star Trek fan, so we can't watch Star Trek together. But in the, in the, in the before times, Larry, um, watching Star Trek is how I, I did wind down, um, working mm-hmm. my way through different series. Um, I would, uh, set up my phone and do dishes while I'm, I'm watching an episode of Star Trek just because I hate doing dishes and watching Star Trek made it more tolerable. Um, it's how I fold laundry. It's how I often do things that I really don't want to do it just makes them far more pleasant for me so get back to that idea is it a power-up is it something that's helping you or is it a side quest that's that's taking you away from your life and there's usually a fine line there but you'll find it and then you can always pull back that's fine uh it's okay whatever whatever helps you in this moment helps you in this moment Keep your short-range scanners open to, you know, those around you and, and some feedback. People are going, wow, what's with you lately or or what's, uh, you know. Yeah. 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 Keep your blinders off as you – if you're – and as usual, if you start to have a warning bell go off somewhere, I'm getting a red alert right here. Um, 
Maybe you should listen to it. It's probably a good yeah, signal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which is, a, you know, that, that gets back to a great concept in Star Trek, which is the briefing room, like the actual briefing room. The crews come together, and one of my favorite things about Star Trek is the captains take all perspectives from all people. They welcome dissent. They welcome, um, they welcome opinions that might conflict with theirs. That is one of the best things a team leader can do is create conditions where it's safe to voice dissent. And um, that spirit of taking in information from other people, that's what we need to do. So if you're getting information that might be like, hey, you're getting you're hard to get in contact with, or maybe you watch too much, you went to sleep too late, take in that information, that'll help. I also want to Libby had a really great comment here that I, um, I threw in the screen. I'll put it on again. Uh, Star Trek is great for rewatching because if I get distracted and miss part of it, it doesn't matter because I probably have the episode memorized. 100%. We, we tend to enjoy stories that we've already seen or read. So if you read a book again or you're listening to music you already know or a show you already know, you experience it and enjoy it better usually than you did the first time around. For that, for one of those reasons, you know what to expect. And if you miss some, that's fine. Star Trek is great to watch when your mind is very distracted because you, you probably know these episodes and characters very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, a first time watch is so distressing. It's almost oh, yeah. like we want a new, we want a new Star Trek. Be careful what you wish for, Lieutenant. You may get it, you know. <laughs> um, oh man, Libby also says, uh, D29 is my comfort watch. I think she probably meant Deep Space Nine. Um, and Rebecca says, if I'm not watching, I'm usually reading the novels or fanfic or comments or writing my own fanfic. I usually get surety if I don't have TNG in my daily life. Um, uh, maybe that was a, a surly. I usually get surly if I don't have TNG in my daily life. There's so mm. much wonderful stuff to explore. I, I really loved the, um, uh, the Star Trek comics and especially the Star Trek crossover with Doctor Who. I had a ton of fun reading that. Larry, I don't know if you ever checked that out. Um, I, I never, you know, I'm not a big, comics guy and for yeah. years the comics were so disposable you know and they were but totally i met fun. you at a comic con larry it's kind of hard not to meet people at a <laughs> <laughs> san diego i mean come on but uh yeah um but no the crossover is a lot of fun it's 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 like the crossovers especially the comics are mm. like legitimized crazy fan fiction i mean you know they crossed over star trek with doctor who and i mean the x-men and the ninja turtles yes the x-men that was one of my first comics that i bought was a star trek x-men crossover in the early 90s oh has it been that long it's been yeah yeah that was that was was a while back (laughs) things got crazy in the 90s It was like anything for ratings if you buy this comic will you come over and watch star trek please 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 yeah uh, I'm just trying to catch up on our, our chat here. So I hope – so people are still reporting. Is the audio still – are we still in um, – uh, Yeah, there's – yeah. Um, okay. I think there's still some sync stuff. We'll we'll work on it. Um, Rislin53 on Twitch says, Yay. not to get off topic but relevant to binge-watching sci-fi, I found myself binging Babylon 5 the other day. Larry, did you ever watch Babylon 5? I see. I'm just coming up the, the wet blanket today on these. Uh, I know I didn't. I started in and I kind of watched it go by, and I've met a lot of the, the you know the actors and uh, one of the a couple of the Trek creative people. Alan Kobayashi was in the art department, 
<laughs> this was so wasted. Uh, Alan's a good friend. He's he's a great guy. He was working in there. He was like the Mike Okuda of Babylon 5 for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave us a tour of the sets. They were just up in Santa Clarita here. And I was walking through, and about halfway through, I thought, you know, like I'm looking at these going, hmm, hmm. Like I don't watch the show. It's not like emotionally resonating <laughs> about being all analytical and comparing them to Trek and all that. And halfway through, I'm like, you know, there are about oh, 47 million Babylon 5 fans who would like kill me. Yeah. Like, why is he getting a tour and he doesn't care? <laughs> and I would love to see this. So, um, so that's been my cl- – although I've appreciated – the act and the arcs and what JMS did with the show and the fact yeah. that it was so it was so sole point of view of one writer it was yeah. kind of revolutionary that way yeah. and of course the big DS9 Babylon and the you know there was a great uh, Babylon Five DS9 softball game of the crews no shirts and what? I want to say it was like uh, and they in Babylon Five won and they did T-shirts that said something like Babylon Nine Deep Space Four or something and it huh. was cute with the score you know that's uh i love that that happened it's like that's like a bonus k3 factor for you i know we get uh it's that makes it k6 we've had uh now two (laughs) two of them um tim says uh classic star trek like tos and tng is good for inspiration and lifting your spirits not like the new iteration which is just too dark and downbeat so i mean tim i'm gonna i'm gonna quote jj abrams here and say you're right and so is anyone who loves the new iteration. Like it's, um, we all can love and not like whatever version of Star Star Trek you like and dislike. That's that's the beauty of Star Trek. There's over 400 hours of it. So take what you like, take what helps you. And I will say, um, I actually, um, a friend of mine, Ryan, um, who was here last week and started talking about how much he thinks, uh, Tom Paris is the greatest of all time in the comment section. Uh, but Ryan got me into watching Farscape, which I had never seen before. And I was watching that in the lead up to this pandemic. And after the pandemic, Farscape is just, it's not a good one for me to watch because I haven't seen it before. The episodes are new. I have to really focus. And it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit darker than Star Trek is for me. So for me, Farscape has not been a good one to watch right now. And I'm going back to the kind of stuff that it just makes me feel good. Um, and that's okay. At a different time and a different era, you might, these different versions of the stories that you're into, they might work better for you and different versions might not work well for you. And that's totally okay. This is a big fandom. Um, people are, can have differing opinions. I got another quickie fix. Yeah. Just watch the finales of the season of all the new series. <laughs> of all the series? Just watch the finale? Especially Discovery. <clears throat> Discovery is all about going from the darkness to the light. So just watch the light oh. shows. Just watch the light at the end of the tunnel. Just watch Folks, the, the two parters of the finale. This, this, this person is on fire today with the Star Trek therapy. Got um, your diagnoses right here. Yeah. Oh, you're so the right. The doctor I, is in. <laughs> if you just watched the finale of season one and two of Discovery, it's, it's, it's quite a fun ride that ends on a great note. <laughs> <laughs> you got your inspirational captain speeches. You know, yes. you got victory at the end, not dark, dark days. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is a whole topic, but I, I've said this on, on Trek Live Tuesdays Live. What we have to get used to is if it's going to be serialized and if it's only going to be 10 or 12 or 13 episodes and they say each episode is like a chapter, take them at their word and think 
when you get all upset about the tone or the events in one episode, just think what you would do if you actually sat and watched like only one block between commercials of a classic episode, or you only watched one chapter of a movie on DVD on the chapter index. And then you went away for a week and came back to what, you know, you'd be all dwelling on that. Now, it's an hour versus 10 minutes or eight minutes, but thematically, structurally in a story, that's what they're going for. So, mm. you know, don't don't let yourself <laughs> get all wound up about this expanded 10 minute section into an hour because that's structurally that's what it is. And they're going to yeah. that, you know, there will be as many, um, uh, you know, uh, a star uh Rag, I've gone blank on the free cloud episode of. of oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, there'll I be as many of those. <laughs> yeah, there'll be as many Nepenthes as there yeah. will be of uh, rags, yeah. new rags, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. New rag city. I keep wondering. Well, this is it. this is the problem with with some of these names and new track, which I do I do miss those older ones. Um, well, we haven't had them for ten years yet. So that's you know. true. That's true. Um, a couple of things. So one is a question for everyone watching from Night Angel uh, DK. Is there some Star Trek books that uh, that are must have? Um, only have two Star Trek books. One is nice looking, the classic episodes. The other is Star Trek cross stitch patterns. So um, if you have uh, recommendations, just let us know in the comments. One thing I want to say about New Trek, Larry, is there are bits and there's always bits and pieces that I love, whether it's Star Trek Picard or Star Trek Discovery. And one of the things I love about Star Trek Discovery, um, especially season two, is Captain Pike. I love that captain. And I think we should probably, should, I know you, you should start a movement, Ali, because <laughs> uh, I've heard nobody else say that. Right. Well, Ed, I know you discussed this yesterday, but um, there <laughs> were comments early on about Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been announced. And yes. this is going to be a Star Trek series that explores that era, um, Captain Pike, that Spock, number one, and that crew, the pre- Pre-Kirk crew of the 1701 No Bloody A, B, C, mm-hmm. D, or E, or J, um, or F from the game. So, um, um, what do y'all... Letters. Yeah. <clears throat> what are y'all thinking about Strange New Worlds? I'm, I'm very excited because I, I cannot get enough of this captain. I think it... I'll be say one thing because I want to see what everybody says too. And I yeah. want to give everybody a chance to talk about something that's news-breaking, actually, in Life Support Live. But um, <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. I mean, th- they've been working on this show for months. It's been like one of the worst-kept secrets ever, mm-hmm. which is, you know, and, and Strange New Worlds, you you go and you see it, look on union websites, and you look on different places, you could have seen it. For one thing, at least we'll save the clickbait toxic YouTubers the, the debate of what to call the acronym, <laughs> because it's SNW. Okay, can we settle on that? It's It's there. <laughs> But what I thought was intriguing in all the announcements and all the bland, you know, the CBS press release quotes and all that, they did a wonderful, which is something we haven't seen before. But each of these series is so unique. And I'm going to talk. Uh, this is my topic for Trekland Tuesdays Live at 1 Pacific on Tuesday on, on Facebook. Um, but and I hope everybody can join me for that. And we have interaction tra- uh, chat there, too. But they did a video of the three leads. Just, you know, they're all at home in lockdown. But they all did one of the, you know, comp- and Anson Mount said something that was not contained in all the bland CBS boilerplate, where he basically looks at the camera, and it's like he's using code. It's like, hey, Trek fans, I'm using code words now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's, yes, and we're all looking. It sounds very, you know, on the on the nose here, 
very corporate, but he says, yes. And we're all looking forward to getting back to work and bringing you some classic Star Trek that is uplifting and optimistic. And I was like, that was like screaming at me. Hey, guys, no more dark. We we were going to do traditional Star Trek standalone show or mostly standalone. Maybe some running. All Star Treks had running arcs, you know, but the heavily serialized things that you're lost if you missed an episode but it, that just screamed out that like we're doing it we heard you whether i had anything to do with it or that was the plan and i'm happy to go along with it but he got that message out there and for anybody who is listening closely and for folks that have like ever since discovery i want my optimistic futures futuristic th- i think that's what we're going to get with strange yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we get. Those characters just exude <laughs> that optimism about the future. And I know, Larry, you and I have slightly differing opinions, but I love that bridge. I love that bridge of the Enterprise. Um, it's I, pretty. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to hang out there. Look, I mean... Uh, nothing, nothing can replace the original series bridge from the original series. Um, this is a different take and I, I love it. It's beautiful. Um, I want to share some of these comments for recommendations for books. Um, Death in Winter post nemesis TNG novel by Rebecca, uh, Imzadi <laughs> by Peter David. Uh, Jared is recommending here. Uh, Dan also recommends, I don't know if you heard about this, Larry, but, um, there's a guy, Larry Nemechek doing a great show about books on Fridays, so we can uh, check that out as well. He beat me to it. I was going to say, (laughs) if you'll notice, all these book recommendations are like they're fiction. Yes. (laughs) Some of us want our meat and potatoes trek as just cool on either making of or, you know, canon Bibles and and technical journals, you know. Um, Jared also uh, says anything with Peter David's name on the spine is is a, is a good one. Um, so lots of great uh, recommendations coming in through the comments. Thank you, everyone, who is uh, um, recommending that. And gosh, Larry, <coughs> lots of love here coming in for Captain Pike. Um, I'm more excited about Strange New Worlds than I have ever than I have been since Enterprise. Um, a lot of folks are very excited for this series, and um, I, I cannot wait. Um, here's another recommendation from Clayton. Uh, my favorite fiction Trek books are How Much for Just the Planet and The Final Great. Reflection by John Ford. One is funny and the Marx Brothers, and one is a Klingon epic. Who can say no to a Klingon epic? Um so we're getting uh we're getting some great recommendations here. Um uh K-Rod uh or Cairo, I'm sorry, 47. Cairo. I'm sorry. Um getting my streams crossed here. I'm very interested in how they'll write the Spock number 1 dynamic as Spock took over the cold unemotional role they originally had intended for number 1. Yeah, Larry, that's going to be very interesting to see how those two characters get flushed out and how um how that dynamic's going to play out. Um I don't know what folks thought of the short trek that was uh Spock and uh, number 1 trapped in a turbo lift, mm-hmm. but I think we get a taste there of what they're dynamics going to be and this spock is a very 
Um, I don't know if they set the show there. And do we know that yet, Larry? Where in the timeline um, Strange New Worlds is going to be set? Is it it's, the beginning of their mission or Discovery? Or, or Well, where? I was. this is what I was saying uh, on that quickie flash that I did Friday afternoon. So the, so canonically, we know that, that Pike had the Enterprise from 2250 to 2265-ish when we know Kirk was there. So 14, 15 years. And the Telosian incident was 2254 mm-hmm. so he'd been captain for about four years enough to get world weary and then he had another nine <laughs> or ten years after that and we also know now thanks to q a that spock came aboard well we know the dating originally but we saw it personified spock came before aboard right before the cage basically within the year so he'd only been there for a month or two or three and we know that number one was there when spock came now thanks to q a so whether they set these, uh, I you know I'm like, well, there's there's four years one way, there's nine or ten years the other way. They'll probably put it in the post-Telosian Pike years, mm. and then the and they oh and then the Discovery year happens about twenty to twenty two fifty seven. So there's like four years, and then a three year, and then a seven year chunk of time. Whether they will maybe do some in earlier, and then zoom ahead and do some post, you know, maybe they will include both of those major of the two events we know about are talus four and the discovery year mm-hmm. and maybe they'll set some stories in and out of all that in order and, well and we have an end point um and there is right. a point where uh pike sort of faces his his ultimate destiny there um and and that will presumably be the end of the show i don't know how many seasons we're gonna get um of well this. he he uh when he he doesn't leave the Enterprise because of the he's a he's a fleet captain, but he doesn't leave the Enterprise that we know of. I mean, he turns over the ship to Kirk before the the cadet ship accident happens. Oh, right, 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 right. Right. They all talk about it like, and at the time of Man- I was watching today, Commodore Mendez is saying something like "poor devil," like it had just happened a few months before. Because, you know, Spock wouldn't sit there and let him fester for three years and then go, I think I'll go save him now. Yeah. And kidnap him. Right. Uh, It just, it all happened fairly quickly before Menagerie, which is like a year into Kirk's first year. So we got, we have a lot. There's a lot (laughs) of runway here. He can totally turn the ship over to Kirk and still be, you know, intact. Yeah. You know, uh, the other thing here that's also, speaking of uncertainty, who knows what we're going to see this show, Larry? uh, They haven't started production on this series, right, before the pandemic occurred. So, presumably, they're writing scripts, maybe doing pre-production, but who knows when this show will get filmed? Who knows when we're going to see it? Who knows (laughs) when we're going to see season three of Discovery? And I I know a couple of the writers on Strange New Worlds, and I can actually read, I'm just going to tell everybody now, so please... Please don't tell everybody I leaked this, but the whole first season of Strange New Worlds happens during the great box dimensional crisis of 2255, and everybody exists in a temporal void of little squares, and it just (laughs) almost destroys Federation society, the paradigm of life that we know, because everyone talks to each other on view screens through little squares. Talk about social commentary. Talk about social commentary. social commentary. Could you imagine a Star Trek show where it's just they're on view screens? It's like the Parks and Rec reunion where they constantly have to explain why two people aren't in the same room together. I, sh- I sure hope that Starfleet Intelligence blog isn't on this call. They'll think I'm serious. <clears throat> 
Um, uh, Dan is saying, not all the book recommendations in this chat have been fiction. I recommend the coloring books as they've been quite therapeutic. Yes, I um, just saw that. Yes. So, Larry, I'm going to do something I, I do every now and then on life support. I pull something from my library that I love that I recommend. Here I go. I will be right back. Oh, live. This is exciting. Something that I would recommend. Something uh, that is my favorite uh, is this right over here. This is yay. my original Star Trek The Next Generation technical manual. I read this cover to cover over and over and over again um, at many different points in my life. Um, if you are unfamiliar with this, um, on the top is in-canon explanations for how the technology works. And on the bottom are these wonderful comments from um, from the writers about how that technology doesn't act. Hey, there we go. Laurie, we got to get a little a, a little thumbnail oh, there of both of us doing? holding our copies. Uh, there there we are. <laughs> so, um, there's there's a lot of non-fiction uh, non-fiction fiction. There's there's a lot of um, non-novelized Star Trek work. Uh, Larry did one of them, Stellar Cartography. We talked about that last week, which is fantastic if you're into the map side of things. Um, a lot of great Star Trek stuff to explore. I was even in a band before Wings, too. Um, <laughs> I did a book called The Next Generation Companion. I've got that somewhere. That's in my big bookshelf um, <laughs> elsewhere in my home. Yeah. Um, uh, this is why sent. we do nonfiction. Somebody alluded to it earlier. This is why we do nonfiction Fridays during Corona crazy time. Jessica says that I yeah. have that too. <laughs> um, as that, as does Rebecca. We've got a lot of love for the next generation technical manual. Larry, you know what I don't have? I don't have the Deep Space Nine technical manual. I need to oh. pick that up. Um, I know. Oh no, you have it. You have it. I'm gonna be so jealous. And there it I goes. Have it, and I, I'm there so excited. Your... I upset. Did I knock myself back into sleep? your view screen? Yeah, your view screen did just I, went into I another dimension there. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to say, Deep Space hey. Nine, the technical. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I love that it was in color. Um, Rose, we want to thank you for your comments. I know you can't see um, what's happening here, but we've been loving getting all your comments. And thank you for tuning in week to week, Rose. It's it's wonderful to have you here. Um, and feel free to connect on on social media. Yes, we'd love to stay connected all the with you. All yeah. The yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, Ky um, Cairo says, um, I don't have a lot of books, but I do have Stellar Cartography, which has some really beautiful star maps. Uh, there you go, Larry. Uh, we got some love for stellar cartography. And a lot of factoids crammed. Crammed. More factoids per square inch than even the companion. I, Larry, did you know this fact? Um, the technical what? manual, um, Jana says the technical manual in German um, has the same design, but it's in blue. I did not know that. No, I didn't. And I used yeah. to be up with that. We would be in Germany a lot for conventions, and I would keep up with it. In fact, the people that would, like, bootleg my books and, and Pocket didn't know about it um, and write new chapters that had nothing to do with anything official. Funny. Space Seeker saying, I have the Next Generation Companion. Um, maybe one day, Space Seeker, you can get that autographed by Larry. And I'll sign it, too. It might decrease the value, but I'll... Just I'll leave it in my Zoom box, and I'll get it right back to you. <laughs> Um, Larry, I think we need to talk about what we might be talking about next week. We haven't, we haven't quite discussed this ourselves, but, um, I think sleep and dreams might be, that's, 
that's been on the uh, on the leaderboard for the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Sleep and Dreams. Um, uh, what that's else? Night Terrors and Voyagers, Waking, Waking moments, moments might be good. Good um, starting. There's another couple. There's an uh, there's an Enterprise. I want to say it's one. No, there's a there's a there's an Enterprise that deals with uh, sleep issues too. But you know, probably yeah. Whether um, they're whether they're from alien influence or what have you, which is you know it's a Star Trek. It's in, but you get into the, the thing about this and some of our topics and even other fields is it's an alien. It's a Star Trekky science fictiony setup, MacGuffin. But it still it opens the door to talk about all these issues and explore yeah. the feelings and everything involved. Whether it's like by the book Human Twenty Twenty or not, yeah, uh, paradigm, yeah. Um, and then we have um. The Star Trek um, fandom talking about the good, bad, and ugly side of Star mm-hmm. Trek fandom. That's been on our agenda for a while as well. Tim Hans just had a wonderful comment about the Voyager episode Night. I think that could be a great starting point to mm-hmm. talking about helplessness and hopelessness and motivation and um, dealing with this uh, uh, a very difficult reality and not knowing when it's going to end or when it's going to change. I want to thank Bill 23799 on YouTube who continues to refer to me as Cal Strickland, which was the little cam- the little cameo thing I did in the original Strange New Worlds uh, Phase 2 episode, year, like the dawn of YouTube and, and fan films, he remembers. So thank you, Bill. You keep doing pithy comments anyway, but he keeps calling me Cal Strickland, so I got to <laughs> gotta do a nod there. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>